0: from Luke 1 5 to 25 in the days of Herod king of Judea there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah and he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth and they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they had realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people.
1: peek Now, it's not as much fun when I play it with adults as when we play it with kids. You see, because the thing is, as adults, we've developed something called object permanence. You know that when something disappears from sight, it hasn't gone out of existence. It hasn't completely disappeared. But that's not something that develops until about four to seven months of development, which is why little infants love so much to play peek because you're a wizard. You disappear and you reappear completely at will. And so they can find that utterly delightful, or sometimes, admittedly, kids do find that kind of terrifying. <laughs> but the fact is, in general, little kids enjoy the game of peekaboo Because you've disappeared and you're hidden, you're gone completely, and then you reappear. They love it. The problem is we don't. As adults, and we especially don't like when it seems that God is playing peekaboo with us. What happens when God's face is hidden? When God seems to disappear? When God is silent? And we're left wondering is he still there? Is he gone forever? Will he ever return? I mean, people that you know and love have wrestled with this question. And at some point, some of you have probably wrestled with it. And I have no doubt that there are some of you here in this room right now or logged in watching us online who are wrestling with this question. I don't see God's move. I don't hear God's voice. I don't sense God's presence. So where is he? Is he gone forever? And some might even be at the point of asking, so was he really real to begin with? Why is God silent? And friends, the good news, the good news is that the Christmas story opens asking this same question. Why is God silent? This Sunday is the first Sunday of Advent as we celebrate with the lighting of the Advent candle. Advent comes from the Latin word Adventus, which means coming, because friends, something is coming. Something is coming and we want to prepare ourselves for it. We want to we be waiting and preparing ourselves so it doesn't pass us by, so that we receive the full promise of what's coming. And so the Advent season is a season of preparation. We prepare ourselves and we wait together. We wait together and become more and more attentive to the celebration that's coming on Christmas, where we remember Christ's first coming, but more than that, it reminds us to wait for Him And His second coming. When He returns and He makes all things new. So this is a season of waiting. And of preparation. And of attention. But friends, what happens when in your life you've been waiting. And you've been expecting. And you've been hoping for a long time for anything. And all you have is silence. All you have is silence. Maybe the waiting's gone on far longer than you expected. Maybe you've been calling out, you've been looking for a response, but none's been offered. You've been waiting for a miracle and no miracle has appeared. You've sought his face, but he's remained hidden. And infants might like peekaboo, but we don't. Where is God? How do we understand the silence of God? In Luke's Gospel, the Christmas story begins where I'm sure some of you here today are beginning, in silence and barrenness. Luke 1, which Connie read for us this morning, we're introduced to uh, Zechariah the priest and his wife Elizabeth. And verses 6 and 7 say, They were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes to the Lord. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren. And both were advanced in years. Now notice here, Zechariah and Elizabeth are described as righteous people. Now, they're not perfect, they're not sinless, but they're earnestly trusting in the Lord and seeking Him. Today, we might call them good church people. You know, we probably say that these are the type of people that we celebrate. You know, they're doing all the right things. They're devout. They trust the Lord. The problem is the text also says that they were barren. Elizabeth is childless, unable to conceive, and despite prayers and pain and patience, despite wailing and weeping and waiting, despite the fact they're doing all the right things, they're righteous before God, walking blamelessly, God is silent. There's no baby. And maybe you are here feeling like Zechariah and Elizabeth. Maybe you're here today facing disappointment with God. You feel like you've done all the right things. You've obeyed to the best of your ability. You've prayed all the right words. You've believed all the right things. But silence and emptiness is all you have to share with it. Whether it's spiritual, emotional, relational, or literal barrenness, you know exactly what Zechariah and Elizabeth were experiencing. Frustration, tears, anger hopes unrealized, prayers unanswered. Why is God silent? Why does He hide His face? You know, the first thing that we need to note here is that Zechariah and Elizabeth's story makes clear that bad things do happen to good people. Friends, bad things do happen to good people. Too often, we automatically assume that when we suffer or when somebody else suffers, when prayers go unanswered, when tears start to fall, that we're always directly the ones to blame. In fact, I know that there are plenty here or online that have suffered from this bad bit of theology. Too often, we have perpetuated the lie that if we trust and we follow God, things are always going to go. The way that we think they should. And our lives are going to be free of barrenness and free of suffering. Our life will be rainbows and unicorns and puppies and bad things will never happen to people who trust God. But that wasn't the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And I know, I know it's not the experience of many of you who are listening today. So hear the good news. Verse 6 makes clear that Zechariah and Elizabeth were doing the right things, and yet they still suffered. Friends, barrenness and suffering in our lives is usually a great mystery to us. I mean, how many years? How many years did Zechariah and Elizabeth live without an answer? For how many years had they suffered without any understanding of why they were suffering? For how many years was heaven silent? The silence of God was a mystery to them for years in the same way that the silence of God might be a mystery to you right now. And friends, the second thing we should note here in this account is that God was silent not because Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers were unheard. Did you catch verse 13? Verse 13 says, "...do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard." The angel shows up and says, Your prayer has been heard. Friends, God may be silent, but that doesn't mean your prayers have not been heard. God may be silent, but that doesn't mean your prayers have not been heard. I read a great article this week, and the title of the article says it all. It says, Why Christians Should Stop Saying Prayer Works. Why Christians Should Stop Saying Prayer Works. And the author says, Most people who say prayer works really means God did what I wanted him to do. As if prayer was a button to be pushed to release exactly what they wanted from some divine vending machine. But the author makes the point, prayer is not a button to be pushed, it's a relationship to be pursued. Friends, prayer is not manipulation. We can't manipulate God by prayer. That's witchcraft. Prayer does not manipulate God or force his hand or push a button. Prayer is not a button to be pu- pushed, it's a relationship to be pursued. And the author of the article continues, Prayer doesn't does work. it does work, but it works differently than we'd like." Do things happen supernaturally? Well, of course they do, but often in ways we can't even understand or trace out. And so the author's conclusion: when things don't go your way, understand that God is still very much in control. And very much loves you. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. Just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. The angel showed up to Zechariah and Elizabeth that day and said, just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. You've been heard. And friends, you've been heard. God is not Absent. Even if you're dwelling right now in silence, it's not that God doesn't hear. God hears. His silence doesn't mean his absence. And even if there has been a long silence, and even if there continues to be a long silence, it's not that your prayers are unheard. God hears. His silence doesn't mean. His absence. This account speaks into our suffering. Just because we haven't received an answer yet, or we didn't get the answer we sought, it doesn't mean he didn't hear, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't care. And friends, the reality, the reality is that your suffering may be, and it may always remain a mystery to you. Because we cannot tr- understand or trace out all that God is doing, or why he's doing it. I mean, this is the point of the Lord's words at the end of the book of Job. Job shows up and he, and he speaks words. And the point is, we can't wrap our minds around the governance of this world. We myopically focus on us and our suffering and our need and our loss and our prayers. But friends, we're part of a larger interconnected story that God is unfolding. His purposes include us, but they're not exclusively for us. But his purposes, all of them are good. And the question is, can we trust him? Will we trust him? For years, Zechariah and Elizabeth did not understand God's silence and their suffering that they didn't understand that their suffering and the silence was actually part of God's plan to bring salvation to the entire world. But they didn't know that. For years they suffered without, with silence and without answer, not knowing that their suffering was part of God's larger plan to bring about salvation, to send His Son. And their child was going to be the precursor of the Son of God coming to save all of the world. But did they know that their suffering was part of God's plan? No. They suffered for years in silence. Friends, we can't comprehend all that God's doing. But can we trust a silent God and can we trust that His purposes are good? That was Job's challenge in the book of Job. When God becomes silent, when all the blessings are gone, when His face is hidden and when answers don't come, will you curse Him and die, Job? Or will you trust His goodness and the love of a silent God whose ways you can't understand? And Job declared in Job 13, verse 15, Though He slay me, I will hope in Him. Though He slay me, I will hope in Him. And friends, will we choose to do the same? Even if the silence continues longer than expected, even if the answers never come to us, even if the barrenness never ends will you choose to cling to the goodness of his inscrutable plans will you choose to believe that he is not absent when darkness hides his lovely face I rest on his unchanging grace in every high and stormy veil my anchor holds within the veil will you cling to the God whose face is hidden and trust that he hears and that he cares and that he loves even when his face is hidden and his voice is silent. Now, in this particular account, God's purposes are revealed. They were revealed to Zachariah and Elizabeth. And I want to note that God's purposes were revealed to Zachariah in a time of worship. Friends, they were revealed in a time of worship. As a priest, Zechariah served in the temple for two one-week periods each year, and he was one of approximately 18,000 priests. And a priest only officiated at the sacrifice once in his life, having been selected by lot. So here's Zechariah. He's been selected for this once-in-a-lifetime chance to to burn the evening incense. And what happens while he's doing it? God shows up. Friends, what did you expect when you showed up at our worship gathering this morning? Did you expect to meet God? To hear from Him? To have your life turned upside down? Because that's what happened to Zachariah. But again, Zachariah, like us, didn't expect it. He didn't expect it. But friends, can I just point out how important worship is during times of silence and suffering? Zechariah heard God's voice in the gathered people of God as they worshipped. Zechariah heard God's break the silence. He heard God break the silence and God's voice speak during worship. Because, friends, in gathered worship with his people, we best set ourselves up to hear God. You see, when we come together in worship, especially in times when it seems like God is silent to us and when we're suffering, we hear words that may not feel true to us at that time, but they are true. We may sing words that feel empty, but in their singing, it reinforces the substance and the reality of those words. We gather with those who sing and speak and pray all around us as if it really is true and they really believe it and their belief encourages us to believe when we're barely Holding on. We are buoyed by the faith of our brothers and our sisters. We're carried along by their prayers. We're convicted by their conviction, and we're comforted by their presence. Friends, if God seems silent to you, the best place to seek Him is not alone on some solo quest out in nature or not some deep quest into yourself. When God seems silent, the best place to seek Him and listen for His voice is amongst His gathered people. There is no guarantee you'll hear from him. But friends, the Lord has promised to be among his people. And throughout history, God has revealed himself to and through his people. So in silence, seek the Lord in worship. We find Zechariah hears from the Lord as his people gather to worship. And friends, the good news is that the Lord speaks to Zechariah And he speaks and he's breaking the silence, not only that Zechariah and Elizabeth have experienced, he's breaking the silence that all of Israel has experienced. Listen again to what the angel said to Zechariah, starting in verse 13. Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And then skipping down to verse 16. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, He will go before them in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Friends, the silence that opens the Christmas story is not just silence that was experienced by Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's not just their personal silence they're, they're experiencing. All of Israel was experiencing silence from God. The angel Gabriel shows up and what does he do? He quotes the prophet Micah. He quotes the prophet Micah to Zechariah. And he says, the prophecy of Micah is about to be fulfilled in your son, Zechariah. Friends, Micah was the final book in the Old Testament. And his prophecy was about 430 B.C. However, after the prophecy of Micah in 430 B.C., there's what's commonly referred to as 400 years of silence. Between the close of the Old Testament and the start of the New Testament were about 400 years. And friends, we have no recorded record of the Lord speaking to his people for 400 years. For 400 years, there was silence. And how do you think the Lord's people responded to that? They were left wondering, why is God silent? Does He hear our prayers? Is He still there? Has He abandoned us forever? Will He ever return? Friends, it's not only individuals who've experienced the silence of God. In fact, throughout Scripture, we find that there were many periods of time when God appeared silent to His people. We just studied the book of Exodus Friends, Israel was in slavery for 430 years. And during that time, we hear little to nothing of or from the Lord. It seems like he was silent for 400 years as his people suffered in slavery. And then after Israel was delivered from Egypt and wandered through the wilderness, they came to the promised land, conquered it, settled it. And after the book of Joshua comes the horrible book of Judges, which is just chaos. And everyone doing what was right in his or her own eyes. And following that time of chaos, we read a new era begin. And 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So they had years and years of chaos and everybody doing what they wanted. And the Lord, word of the Lord was rare. God seemed silent. Where was he? And then for 400 years, God's apparently been silent to his people. God's people are currently oppressed. They're slaves to a harsh Roman rule. They have struggled and suffered. They have cried out for deliverance. And yet there's been no word, no prophet, no vision since Malachi. Why is the Lord silent? Does he hear our prayers? Is he there? Is he gone? Will he return? And the good news is that we find in the case of both Zechariah and Elizabeth and the whole nation of Israel, the Lord has not abandoned his people. In fact, in fact, friends, the Lord's about to do something big. There's a principle that I see here. Often, not always, but often before God does something big, there's a silence. Friends, the greatest works of the Lord are often preceded by a time of silence. There were thousands of years between the Tower of Babel in Genesis 12 and the call of Abraham that started it all in Genesis 12. I'm sorry, Genesis 11, Genesis 12. There were 430 years of slavery and silence before the Lord orchestrated the birth of a baby named Moses to deliver his people. There were years of chaos and silence before the Lord brought about the birth of a prophet named Samuel. To rescue his people. And there were 400 years of silence before the Lord brought about the birth of a baby to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And that baby's name was John. Who we know as John the Baptist. And John the Baptist would precede the coming of the Lord himself. Great works of the Lord are often preceded by a time of silence. And we might ask why. Why is that? Friends, I believe that silence prepares us to see and it prepares us to hear. I mean, have you ever walked into a dark room and you start tripping over things and hitting things until you stop and you wait a little while and your eyes adjust? And all of a sudden you're able to see things you couldn't see before. You perceive things that used to be invisible to you, but you had to sit in the darkness for a while before your eyes were prepared to see. And silence, in the same way, can prepare us to hear things we couldn't hear. You know, my son Joshua is the master of telling me about things on the internet that are so wild, I don't believe them till I look them up for myself. And a while ago, Joshua came to me and he told me about the world's quietest room. And I had to look it up for myself to believe that it's true, but it's real. In Redmond, Washington, at Microsoft's headquarters, is the world's quietest room. They've constructed an anechoic chamber. Anechoic means literally without echo. It is a room designed to block and absorb all sound. And they say that the silence in that room is so intense that after sitting there for just a little while, you'll start to hear your own heart beating. And if you wait even longer in the silence, you will hear your blood flowing through your veins, and you'll hear your bones grinding. The silence makes it possible for you to hear things you otherwise would have been unable to hear. And friends, the Lord often gives a period of silence before he does a great work. Because is he preparing his people to hear? Is he preparing his people to see? I mean, this is what happens when somebody is speaking to you and they're speaking a little too quietly. What do you do? you lean in you become a little bit more attentive you you turn your ear towards them so that you don't miss what's coming And friends, could it be that the silence of God is meant to sensitize us and to prepare us to see and to hear and to perceive what He's about to do? Could it be that right now the silence you're experiencing in your life is the Lord preparing you to see and to hear and to do things, to perceive things and receive things that otherwise you never would have seen, you never could have heard, you would have been unprepared and unable to receive? Could it be that the the Lord is inviting you in the silence to lean in so that you don't miss the great thing that he's about to do. I mean, I was thinking about this, and I thought about the 11th chapter of John's Gospel and the story of Lazarus. Mary and Martha, Lazarus' sisters, send messengers to Jesus, and they say, Jesus, the one that you love is sick. And what does Jesus do? Nothing, he's silent. And for two more days, he stays exactly where he is. He doesn't act. He doesn't speak words of healing. He doesn't show up. And Lazarus dies. And Lazarus' sisters, Mary and Martha, what would they done? They prayed. They sent messengers to God. Just like we do. And what happened? God was silent. Why? Because, friends, God was preparing those people for an even greater miracle. If Jesus had shown up and answered those prayers and just healed Lazarus, the people would have seen a great miracle because they would have seen a sick Lazarus healed. But instead, God was silent. Everybody started to lean in and listen a little bit more intently and look a little bit more intensely. And then God showed up and gave an even greater miracle. He didn't heal a sick Lazarus. He raised a dead Lazarus. Friends, could it be that the time of silence that you're experiencing in your life is God inviting you to lean in and to pay attention because He's about to do something even greater. And He wants to make sure that you don't miss it. He wants to prepare you to see it and to receive it. It's not that He hasn't heard your prayers. It's not that he doesn't love you. It's not that he's abandoned you. He's inviting you and I to lean in so that we can perceive and receive something greater. Could it be that the silence that you and I are experiencing in our lives is an invitation to lean into God? To look more intensely to listen more intensely to the silence and to look more earnestly into the darkness. To cling more stubbornly to the hope that the Lord is about to do something great. Friends, could it be that the silence that you're experiencing right now doesn't indicate the Lord's absence, but it indicates the Lord's activity? Friends, this is the gospel, the hope of Christmas. Silence is not an indication of the Lord's absence or his apathy. It's an indication he's about to do something Great. And he's inviting us to lean in so that our eyes might be open, our ears might be ready, and we might see and perceive. And, friends, this idea of silence and the Lord's action in our silence was most perfectly demonstrated to us in the baby who was born at Christmas. Because this baby grew, he lived amongst us, he taught us many things, he healed our diseases. He was betrayed and he died, crucified upon a cross. And as he hung upon the cross, according to Matthew 27, verse 46, he cried out, Eli Eli Lama Sabatani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus hung upon a cross, and God seemed silent. Was God silent because he didn't hear Christ's prayers? Was God silent because he didn't know or care what was happening to Christ? No, God was silent because he was doing something big. God's silence didn't indicate his absence or his apathy. It indicated his activity because at the moment that Christ was dying upon the cross, sin was being destroyed. The penalty was being paid. Victory was being won. Chains were being broken. Captives were being set free. Satan was being defeated and death was being disarmed. The silence didn't indicate the Lord's absence or apathy, but His activity. His silence was because He was about to do something incredible. And He was inviting us all to lean in. To open our eyes that we might see it. Open our ears that we might hear it. And to perceive and to receive it. And three days later, friends, Christ was laid in a grave. And in that grave, He was silent. And He was still. And was the silence... While He laid in the grave because God did not know and God did not hear the prayers of His anguished people. Was it because God did not care? No. The Lord's silence preceded a great, great work. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, silence is often because he's about to do something great and he's inviting you and I to lean in, to open our eyes and our ears so we're ready to receive it. So don't mistake the Lord's silence for his absence or his apathy. Because many of the Lord's greatest works came after a silence. So could it be? Could it be that the silence you are experiencing in your life right now is an invitation to lean in? In, to listen and to look so that you're ready to perceive and receive. Because the Lord's saying, I'm about to do something great and I don't want you to miss it. And friends, there's one final note about silence. I just want you to note at the end of the story, what does Zechariah do? He does what you and I do. He scoffs and he doubts. He challenges an angel. We would have done the same. And so what happens? God silences him. And friends, I don't think God silenced Zachariah as a punishment. I think God sac- silenced Zachariah as a mercy to him. I think it was a protection for Zachariah. Because friends, Zachariah was ready to talk himself out of believing and trusting the Lord. That's impossible. And we do the same thing, don't we? We'll talk ourselves out of believing and trusting God. And and God silenced him to prevent him from talking himself into a corner or from straying further into unbelief. I think God said, just shut your mouth and be silent. Listen. Listen so you don't miss it, Zechariah." And friends, maybe God's saying the same thing to some of us here today. Just be silent. Because, friends, we use our many words to distract us from seeing or to talk ourselves out of trusting when God invites us to be silent and to hope in Him. So even if the Lord seems silent, He invites, be silent, you be silent, and hope in me. And, friends, that's the invitation of this passage. It's the invitation of Christmas. It's the invitation of Christ. Be silent and hope in me. And friends, how are you going to respond to that invitation today? Let's pray. God of hope, we come as a people in need of hope. We come as a people in need of you. We come as a people who need your voice, we need to hear. We need to see. So help us to lean in and to hope and to believe that you are the God of silence and that the silence right now that we're experiencing, against which we struggle and in which we wrestle, it's preparing us because you're about to do a great thing. So Christ, do a great thing in And through us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In closing, please stand with us.